0: All right, we uh, got into the first chapter of Philippians uh, on Wednesday, uh, but let's go ahead and uh, read verses one through eleven again. Kind of get us a running start. I have a volunteer to read Philippians one one through eleven. Boy,
1: Paul and Timothy, bond servants to Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
0: Okay, thank you we got down to, I think, about verse 6 on Wednesday, Uh, so kind of picking up there, uh, Paul says he's confident. And, you know, confidence is one of the recurring themes in Philippians. You know, we read quite a bit about confidence as well as... uh, yeah, you know, joy and unity. Uh, so he says he's confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's convinced that they're going to keep doing what they've been doing, and that's a good thing. Uh, Because we talked about you know in the preceding verses their you know participation in the gospel, the fellowship that they had had with him, and he was confident that that was going to continue, and continue until when? Until
1: the day of Christ Jesus.
0: Until the day of Christ Jesus. So, continue till the end. And then uh, in verse 7, uh, he says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. So, he says, He has them in his heart. That he's thinking about them. Uh, And it's only natural that he would do so. Because he talked about how he offers prayer for them. uh, That they were participating with him. And he has very strong feelings for them. That are going to come out especially in uh, the next verse. So his feelings for them were because they had fellowship together they were participating together and they weren't letting his circumstances his imprisonment get in the way of their participation with him and so they weren't ashamed of him in his circumstances you know some some would be Uh, I mean how often do you uh, you know have fellowship with people that are in prison I mean we rarely do and that was probably the the same case at that time but especially because of the circumstances of his imprisonment uh, they still wanted to participate with him And uh, it says and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel so even in Paul's imprisonment he was defending and confirming the gospel or vindicating the gospel the fact that he was still doing that Paul didn't let that stop him either and we'll see that later in this chapter how there's actually been some benefits from this uh, which is uh, is pretty interesting as well Uh, and then he says in verse 8 for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus that's a powerful statement I mean if you examine that he longs for them You know, yearns for them. Strong desire, ardent desire for them. And for all of them. Notice he says, for you all. Just like in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you and verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all so he had these strong feelings for all of those there in Philippi and he says he calls God as his witness so what can we learn from that? It's not uh not an expression that we use all that often. Bob? It's
2: indicative of a clear conscience uh, to okay. to actually be under those circumstances inviting the wrath of God if it's not the case. Right. So
0: Right. And I think this gives us a really good picture of how strong his feelings were for them that only God really knows because only God can look into the heart and so uh, this would indicate how much he really cared for them that he would call God as his witness
1: is this like I swear is he, is, he, uh, is it that strong? Okay. Uh,
0: possibly. Now, the term swear to us brings up some negative connotations as well, so I hesitate to go there.
3: Like as an oath,
0: as an oath, yes. <laughs> I, I think that. I, I think that would fit and then uh, also here in this verse I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus uh, are there other translations of that does anybody have anything different ok Uh the old king james actually says in the bowels of jesus christ which i mean that hits us a little strange but back at that time talking about the inward parts of man you know the the heart the liver the lungs the kidneys you know the vital organs that was considered to be the seat of emotion and feeling. And so that's the term that Paul uses here which would have fit that culture quite well. Uh, But in more modern translations it's rendered uh, affliction even though it literally would mean uh, inward parts uh, and I've got a footnote to that effect in the uh, version I'm looking at uh, so uh, so I thought that was interesting as well uh,
2: yeah this I mean it, with kind of the idea of an oath and then to the depth of the inward parts of Christ Jesus it, he's wanting it seems like he's wanting them to see how deeply he is attached to
0: them and devoted right. to them whatever right. it all kind of fits together yes uh, Brad did you have your hand up no, sir. ok I, I thought I saw something as uh, ok uh, and then uh, he kind of carries that forward in verse 9 verse 8 talks about his feelings for them but then verse 9 and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so he's taking that to their feelings for one another Uh, and this begins you know a prayer uh, as some have pointed out you know, this I pray and that goes through verse 11 uh, so these were the things that you know he would pray for for them and the word prayer there is not the same word as the one in verse 4 which we pointed out that was the word for supplication uh, this is the more general word for prayer uh, but he wants them to that their love may abound more and more. Uh, and I think that would include their love for God, their love for Christ, and their love for one another. Uh, I think that's all there. Uh, and he wants them to, uh, to certainly serve Uh, With zeal and with their whole heart, uh, and to do so with love. And love's really important. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, and the first three verses says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So, if we don't serve God and serve one another out of love, then it's it's meaningless. God wants our service to be motivated by love—love love for Him, love for one another—and uh, Paul is uh, is pointing this out here. Okay, any. Thoughts on that. Yeah, Brett. It's
1: interesting to me that like, First Corinthians 13 separates love and knowledge um, and even works, you know, good, doing good things. Mm-hmm. Um, here, it almost sounds like that knowledge and depth of insight is kind of one of the things that brings about love. Uh, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight is the way NIV reads okay time. so um, just interesting to see that um, they can be separated but it also seems that uh, one
3: helps uh, the other
0: yeah yeah and,
3: sir. and that love is not um, an ignorant warm fuzzy mm-hmm. feeling that allows anything but it needs to be grounded in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you really do know what to what should be approved and what how to be sincere and blameless, and how to have the fruit of righteousness as it goes on. That it's not it's not just the warm fuzzy feeling, mm-hmm. um, but it's based on something, built on something. Probably is a better way to say it.
1: Right, boy. You you can have love. You can have uh, knowledge without love. But the kind of knowledge, the kind of love he's talking about is going to include knowledge, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. And our love needs to be an intelligent love. We need to love the right things. We need to get our priorities right. Uh, A couple of passages that that came to mind in that regard Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on earth. And also, First uh, John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So, we have to value the right things. Uh, we've got to get our priorities right. And uh, the next verse uh, kind of gets into that as well. It says, "...so that you may approve the things that are excellent." in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. We need to be able to, to distinguish between you know, what's good and what's excellent. Uh, I want to read this to you. I ran across this uh, and I thought this was pretty good says beyond the matter of deciding between right and wrong, the Christian must reach the point in his love for God where he will accept as proved the things that are better over the things that are good and the things that are best over those that are better. This is a judgment between qualities, not a discernment between right and wrong. Some things right within themselves are not good for the Christian because they are not best for him. Paul prays that we may grow in our love so that we may able we may be able to approve and embrace the things that excel not merely things not bad We are not only to reject things in which there is harm but we are to approve and pursue the things that are best for us I thought that was pretty good uh, so reject the things that are, bad for us for sure but pursue the things that are best and what's best is what the scriptures have laid out for us okay yeah
3: um, in the end of verse 10 hearkens back to the end of verse 6 until the day of Christ mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. for the same length of time that we can depend on God Perfecting the good work that he began in us, we also should be approving and being sincere and blameless. So until the day of Christ, there both uh, there's not really an end point in a finite sense.
0: Right, right. Good point. Uh, one other thing I wanted to point out from verse ten: uh, the word "sincere" there. That word in the Greek only is used one other time in the New Testament and that's in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 uh, and so what I read, it's got a couple of possible meanings, you know a word that's not used very often is harder for the translators to, to figure out sometimes uh, one possible meaning is being able to stand the test of sunlight being examined in the sunlight and found pure Uh, or another is uh, unmixed uh, purged winnowed uh, and so uh, that's a couple of uh, possible meanings of that Uh, so I thought that was interesting uh, as well okay any other thoughts or comments on on verse 10 okay and then uh, verse 11 kind of finishes off this section says having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God <coughs> and and when you think of fruit what do you think of especially fruit of righteousness I think of Galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit yeah uh, and Galatians five, twenty-two and 23 uh, and one thing for a long time I thought of this as, you yeah, know, these are different fruits, you know, love and joy and peace, patience. But it talks about it being fruit singular. This is what will be characteristic of a Christian. And you can't leave any of those out. Uh,. And then also was reminded of uh, Ephesians 2. So we were in Ephesians earlier in the uh, quarter. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 talks about the good deeds of a Christian uh, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that's what we're here for and so we need to, uh, to do that but it also points out how we're filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ and that made me think of uh, John chapter 15 if you'll turn over there uh, especially verses 4 and 5 says abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing so we have to be in Christ a part of that vine to uh, to bear the fruit truly bear the fruit of righteousness it's not something that we can do apart from ourselves and of course this is all to the glory and praise of God and we need to keep that in mind as well that we're doing this to glorify God Uh, you know that's pointed out in passages like uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 where it says do all to the glory of God Uh, and Matthew uh, Matthew 5 16 uh, let your light show so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, it's all to the glory and praise of God. Okay, any other comments before we move? Yeah. So
2: just to kind of maybe tie it together. Uh, it seems like, you know, he's, speaking, he's, he's encouraging them to love and have a love that is rooted in the knowledge and discernment, which leads to the fruit, which will result in glorifying God. Kind of all, of, all of that seems to be pointing, to, like you said, mm-hmm. to the glorification of God.
0: Yep. Very good. Anything else?
1: I, I really think that's important for us. Paul is aimed not only at these things, but he's aimed at unity among them as they work together. And he's going to deal with some things later on in the book where there's some disunity that all of these things will bring about unity in a church
0: yes exactly uh, excellent point sir.
3: and if we have the same standard and know how to, prove, to approve what is excellent and if we are sincere and blameless when you hold us up to the light and you can see clearly through us there's not any flaw um, that's when we are filled with the fruit of righteousness not mm-hmm. self-righteousness Mm-hmm. and that having all of that in common makes unity at least attainable if not necessarily e- easier all mm-hmm. the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Good point. Okay. Uh, let's read verses 12 through 20. Could I have a volunteer to read that? sir?
3: So now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife but some also from goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that i am appointed for the defense of the gospel The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, That I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death.
0: Okay, thank you. So, uh, in this section, uh, kind of begin, you know, the progress of the gospel, uh, I think is how that was uh, put in the outline. Uh, that we uh, passed out but Paul talks about his circumstances and he implies that there were concerns that the Philippians had Uh, and so what do you think their concerns might have been
1: Why would God leave Paul in prison?
0: Okay. Why would he leave him in prison? Anything else?
1: There?
3: Being imprisoned by Rome didn't always turn out well. (laughs) It wasn't always like a nice little parole date and freedom without issues. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Prison back then and prison now... I. I'm told we're are very different. I don't have any experience with that personally, but uh, uh, but yeah, I think it was a lot rougher back then. And uh, I'm not anxious to experience it here at this time either. But uh, Okay, anything else? Bob?
2: I think it's been alluded to, the idea of uh, back then and what we know about the times... Uh mistreatment, abuse Uh, how is he just physically going to hold up underneath this Uh, uh, but but it seems that it's interesting that here in 13 he starts talking about those that would be doing that to him but in such a different light Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, this kind of makes you think maybe that uh, he's writing that way uh, because, because of the circumstances are far different then they might worry about, and, and it's God working.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Chris?
2: It appears that they may be implying that <coughs> this is a detriment to the to the gospel, that, like, hey, this isn't going to go very far if people get, keep getting put in prison, and, you know, we're not sure we want to sign on anymore. So he's... In, <laughs> he's assuring them that hey, this is actually the opposite it's really right. better for the gospel
0: yeah, yeah. I, that's a really good point that's kind of where I was headed I mean, all these points are, are true and accurate uh, I agree with all of them but I think they were one of their concerns was this was going to be detrimental to the spreading of the gospel and that's a pretty reasonable assumption on their part Uh, you know that that would make the gospel message less appealing and could hinder this cause and make people not want to sign up but Paul points out that's not been the case at all Uh, instead it's turned out for the greater progress of the gospel Uh, now he doesn't specifically say or mention the specific circumstance he'd been in prison for a while and perhaps there was a change that had happened Uh, I don't know that we know for sure But uh, we know from the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 28 and verse 30, that Paul, he was imprisoned, but in his own hired house where people could come and, and visit with him. He had free access to people. He couldn't leave, but he had free access. Perhaps he recently had been moved uh, to the praetorium camp. Uh, His trial date may have been about to come, and it would have been reasonable for them to move him to a place where he would be close to where the trial would be. So I think it's possible that uh, that was a change. That had them concerned as well. Uh, But he assures them that even though it looked like this should harm the cause of the gospel. It's actually done just the opposite. Uh, God had taken that event and used it for good. God ever done things like that before? Yeah. Certainly an example that comes to mind is Joseph. Uh, If you look back in Genesis chapter 50 uh, we see Joseph talking about this kind of thing uh, turn to, to Genesis 50, uh, 50 verses 15 to 21 uh, says when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead they say what if Joseph, Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him so they sent a message to Joseph saying your father charged before he died saying Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So, a prime example. God meant something for... his brothers it <clears throat> for evil, but God turned it into good. Good came from that. And you think about Paul and his imprisonment. Why was he in prison? How did he get there to start with? It was the Jewish leaders trying to... <coughs> squelch the spread of the gospel and taking Paul and putting him in prison you know he shows up in Jerusalem and they have him imprisoned. what's their purpose in this well they're trying to get him out of the way he's one of the ones spreading this news about Jesus and we're We're going to lose our place of prominence and power. And so. They're trying to. Squelch the gospel. But God takes that. And brings good from it. Causes the gospel to spread even further. Uh, And. The next couple of verses point out. Uh, some of the details of that it says so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else uh, the term praetorian guard do other translations have something different that's in verse 13 Palace the palace okay
2: the governor's palace is okay imperial guard
0: okay uh, do all of them have uh, guard with that okay because the old King James just says in the palace uh, and so the question is is it talking about a place or is it talking about a certain group of people and from what I'm told the proper translation would be a group of people Uh, so uh, so that uh, and the Praetorian guard these would be the particular soldiers that were around the palace Uh, from what I read uh, there were roughly 9,000 soldiers in the general area of Rome there was a camp that was set up north of the city where most of them lived but then there was always a small group of soldiers that were lived in a barracks that was connected to the palace where the emperor would live. And they would be kind of like his personal protectors, you know, much like our secret service agents today. Uh, and these are the ones that he most likely has reference to when he talks about the palace guards or the praetorian guards Uh, and so Paul says his influence he'd been able to spread that through the whole praetorian guard now some of those guards undoubtedly were assigned to guarding him he's a prisoner awaiting trial so prisoners need guards and uh, so he had access to them and so what did he do? he did what Paul does he talked to them about the gospel of Christ I don't think that's a stretch but it wouldn't always be the same guys. There'd be a rotation of soldiers that would come through. And so he'd also talk to them about the gospel. And then the ones that rotate out, they might share that with some of their other fellow soldiers. And the effect had been that the His imprisonment in the cause of Christ had become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Initially, they probably thought, "Yeah, he's just a common criminal. That's why he's here. And then, after talking to Paul, they find out he's here because he believes in Christ Jesus. And he's there for a cause. He's not just a common criminal. And they probably then viewed him in a different light. And that gets spread among the guard and says, and to everyone else. So, evidently spread throughout the city. And you know, that's the way it oftentimes works. You get a few that start talking about it and it spreads and that's how the gospel is supposed to spread as well I
3: was going to say I have a note here that said uh, with respect to the guard that at least part of the time the guard and the prisoner were chained together so it wasn't a matter of oh he's sitting in a cell and the guard walks past it's hi I'm with you for the next Twelve
0: hours, kind of a thing. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. Yeah.
1: Also talking about good coming from evil. Right. The yeah. Folks in Philippi would have remembered back that some of their first converts there came as a result of Paul and Silas being in prison there in Philippi. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yep. Anything else? Yeah.
2: Well, so. and I don't. I may not have it all right, but. I think Paul had some freedom that typically of prisoners because of his Roman citizenship, or his
3: rank. possibly, um, yeah.
2: In Acts, it describes in, in uh, Acts twenty-eight thirty, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming to all who came to him. <laughs> Right, kind of makes it. You know, he had more freedom. People were able to come in, and Paul was in one spot for longer than he had ever been. Mm-hmm. People knew that and came to him, and yeah, uh, it seems. Yeah, word spread. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and once they know why he's there, then he develops the relationship. Becomes one more of trust. And so they trusted him to stay there. And, uh, I mean, we have certain prisoners that become trustees uh, who are, you know, given some additional freedom and uh, and they have some responsibilities as well. So that kind of reminds me of, of this. Karen?
2: Um, I was just thinking about when Paul appealed to Caesar, like, was this there probably weren't a ton of prisoners that were in the same... Like, his, his crimes did not um, equal his punishment. And so yeah. it makes me think of Joseph. You know, he right. was... God um, blessed him in prison. Um, as a soldier, I'm curious whether they would have thought, this guy's not supposed to be here. Like, he right. didn't do anything. Right. And that furthers that conversation because um, he's probably not the typical criminal or pr- prisoner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that specifically. But yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Sarah?
3: And getting into this makes verse 7 actually make more sense because uh, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers of grace with me so both in the circumstances of his imprisonment and then what they do later in verses 14 through whatever mm-hmm. where there are they're starting to do their own <laughs> bold preaching and confirming that this is the gospel and this is why he's in jail and, and all of that and so it all it ties back and makes verse 7 gives it a
0: little bit more meat yep okay anything else verse 14 and kind of tying it back to 13 and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear so the brethren around there and even other parts of the world like Philippi hearing about Paul hearing and seeing that it's not stopped him from spreading the gospel and talking to others about Christ they're encouraged by that and so they too are more bold to speak about Christ it's like if this isn't going to stop Paul from teaching then we shouldn't let it stop us from teaching either whereas initially they might have been ooh if this is what happens when you teach Christ then maybe I want to keep this quiet uh, so, uh, so another benefit that had come from that uh so, any, any thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, we'll plow into uh, to the next section, and uh, we'll probably have to finish this on Wednesday. It says, uh, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So, there's a couple of different reactions. Some preach Christ out of envy and strife and some also from goodwill Uh, and so he talks about the ones uh, doing so out of goodwill first in verse 16 the latter do it out of love knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel uh They were sympathetic to Paul uh, and were preaching this gospel out of goodwill and out of a love for Christ and Paul. Uh, and uh, says, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel now it was pretty well known uh, and certainly the scriptures are clear that God appointed Paul to preach and defend the gospel he mentions that in uh, Acts chapter 22 verses 14 and 15 uh, his uh, defense before the Sanhedrin Uh, but we also know that Paul planned for him to appear or God planned for Paul to appear before Caesar Acts chapter 27 and verse 24 tell us that. So he does this uh, because God has appointed him to do that. So that's the second bell. We will uh, finish up uh, this chapter on Wednesday night.